Number one, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, whose story were they following? Their story, correct? They didn't follow God at that moment. When Noah built the ark, whose story was he following? Very good. You guys are good at this. When Abram and Sarai decided it would be Hagar that would uh, bear a child to start a great new nation, whose story were they following? Okay, good. When Abram took, or Abraham took Isaac to, and laid him on the altar to be sacrificed, whose story? Okay, be careful now. When Joseph was sold into slavery and later forgave his brothers, whose story was he following? All right, I changed the pattern just so you guys didn't get complacent with it. <laughs> when Moses challenged Pharaoh to let his people go, whose story was he following? God's story, good. When Aaron let the people have their way and built them an idol, whose story was he following? Their story. When Joshua and Caleb were the only spies that suggested they go into the promised land and take it away, whose story were they following? God's story. And then when Gideon trimmed his army down to 300 warriors to take on the Midianites, whose story was he following? God's story. Took on many thousands of warriors on the other side just because that way they would know it had to be God that won that battle. Then when Ruth stayed by her mother-in-law Naomi's side, whose story was she following? God's story. Good. When David takes on Goliath, whose story? God's story. But when David uh, eyes Bathsheba on the roof and requests her to come to his bed, whose story then? His story. So we go both ways sometimes as people. And when Solomon marries foreign wives, whose story was he following? His story. And then we've had basically three chapters of kings who all followed their own story, pretty much. So that was easy, three chapters to get to. So I think you're seeing the point. We need to either decide if we're going to follow our story and add God to it, or are we going to be a part of God's story? So let's look at Daniel, the book of Daniel. We have four guys. We've got Daniel, we got Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Now the names are very important because that was when they were taking, taken as Jews and then when they were brought into training, as the video says, for three years, their names were changed. And their names were changed from God's interpretation. Their names all represented something from God. Now they were to be renamed to represent gods of um, Babylonia. So... Daniel, which his name means God my judge, was changed to Belshazzar, which is Bel's prince. And Bel was the chief god. And then Hananiah, whom Jehovah hath favored, was changed to Shadrach, which is the sun god. And then Mishael, who is, uh, who is what God is, was changed to Meshach to honor the goddess of love and mirth, or the er otherwise known as the earth god. And then Azariah, whose uh, Jehovah helps, was changed to Abednego, which is the servant of the uh, shining fire, or the fire god, which comes in handy, I guess, later. I don't know, but uh, with the furnace. But. So when we're looking at this, um, let's look at the obedience that all of these men had throughout the entire book of Daniel. So instead of just telling the stories that we've all known from the angle of what the video did, I want to talk about God's story and their story. So... They get, the very first thing they get is they're in training, and they get a portion of the king's table's food, the meat, the wine, whatever the king was served, they got a portion of that. But Daniel was like, no, 
We don't want to eat that. We, that is not sacred food. That is not food that is from God. That is not good for us. And I'm thinking just my story on that. It's probably some good food. And I'm a, I like food. So I'm thinking you gave it up for vegetables and water. And you could have had steak, probably ribeye, filet mignon, prime rib, you know, pretty good wines probably, just to have vegetables and water because that is what you knew would be keeping you obedient to God. Pretty cool that that's how it all starts. And then we have the dream interpretation by Daniel. At that point, when the... I'm sorry, um, Nebuchadnezzar brings in all of his sorcerers his magicians, his astrologers, everybody to tell him about this dream. Well, he can't even remember the dream. That's the funny part. So he says, well, tell me what my dream means, and I'm not going to even tell you the dream because I know you'll just make it sound good if I tell you what it is. Well, he doesn't even know what it is himself. And so he's going to kill all the wise men because nobody can give him that. And so in Daniel 2, uh, 10 through 11, um, the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Obviously, that's a little G god. They're talking about their Babylonian gods. Well, right after that, Daniel goes, I'm pretty sure my God can do that. And, and I'm going to say, give me some time. And so he goes back and he grabs his friends and they sit and they pray. And they pray to God that he will reveal that dream so that he can know what the dream is first, then interpret it and give that back to the king. They're relying on faith. They're relying on God's story at that moment. And he does. He comes through. He, they avoid death because God provided the dream and the interpretation. You know, and also, you think about it, you're going before somebody who's just said, I'm going to kill everybody because nobody can tell me in the dream, and now you're giving them a message of this statue who you're going to be wiped out as a nation, and you're going to a king going, yeah, you're, you're mighty, but you're going to fall. You know, and don't you think at that point you're going, is he going to kill me for saying that message? You know, so he's faithful, even though he knows death could be a possibility. So he turns around and he praises God because of that that gift that he's been given the vision so this is the prayer that daniel says to god praise be to the, the to the name of god forever and ever wisdom and power are his he changes things and seasons he sets up kings and disposes them he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning he reveals deep and hidden things he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him i thank and praise you O god of my father's you have given me wisdom and power. You have made, me, made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So again, he's still giving the praise to God. It's not that he's all high and mighty that he figured it out. He knows that where that power came from is God's. Again, talking about God's story. So let's keep with Daniel, and we're going to go to the lion's den. I'm not going to go in the order that the book is laid out. So the lion's den, another time where he chooses God's story over his own. He's been, there's been a decree. The, the other um, prefects and high-powered individuals of, of Babylonia, which Daniel is one of, want to set him up for failure. They want to take him out because he just 
he's found so much favor with the king. They don't want him in the, in the circle anymore. So they've put a decree out that no one can pray to anyone other than the king for the next 30 days. Well, Daniel decides he's not going to do that. He still sets, he opens his window, prays three times a day, and he's seen, knowing that the decree says that they will be thrown into a lion's den, anybody who does that. But he doesn't care. He stays by his God. So, knowing that, he gets charged. The king doesn't want to throw him in there because he, he is one of his favorites. But then he has to follow the decree because there's so much pressure. So before he goes in, the king even says, I hope the God that you worship can save you. So he doesn't even, this king doesn't worship him, but he thinks that this God might have the power to do it. So interesting how there's that disconnect that he wouldn't all of a sudden be one for himself. And we all know that at that point, you know, Daniel goes in, spends the night with the lions, probably petting them, having a good time, and he is not touched. And he replies that an angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. And then the king turns around and, and takes the people who falsely accused him and throw them into the, into the lion's den, including their children and wives. I think that's a little extreme, but that's what they did. But before those bodies even hit the ground, they're all their bones were broken. So it wasn't that the lions were just being passive and they weren't hungry or whatever. They were, but so God stepped in and saved. And then lastly, let's go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I always say that wrong. I always say Abednego instead of Abednego, so bear with me. Um, at this point, let's uh, read the scripture from Daniel 3, 1 through 18 together. Um, all right, this, and um, actually, oh, it's probably too late. There's no way to change that to the message, is there? Okay, well, I'll keep talking while he does that quickly. It's just that uh, the NIV is great. That's exactly how it's quoted in the story, the book we're reading. Um, but there are a lot of words that we will tongue-tie and twist over and trip over quite, quite, uh, quite a long time through it. But also, what I like about the message is it gets the idea of the story across in a little bit simpler language. Um, and um, so, um, but going into that, while we're waiting for that, we'll, um, this, is the, this is the biggest story within the book for me about his, your story or God's story. Okay, so let's go ahead and read it. It was the third year of King Joachim's reign in Judah when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem and besieged the city. The master handed King Je Jeho yeah. Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the furnishings from the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar took king and furnishings to the country of Babylon, the ancient Oh, you know what? Sorry. Wrong verse. Daniel 3, that's why I was like, I don't remember reading these words. So, Daniel 3, 1. We'll get there. So, back to saying, this was uh, one of my favorite, uh, this is my favorite story within this, because the, you, there is such a huge challenge at the end, and I'm going to lay that challenge before you. Okay, so, here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. He set it up on the Dura Plain in the province of Babylon. 
He then ordered all the important leaders in the province, everyone who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, Attention, everyone, every race, color, and creed, listen. When you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets and trombones, the tubas and baritones, the drums and cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. The band started to play, a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon, and everyone, every race, color, and creed, fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stopped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You give strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into the roaring furnace. When there were some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, when you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon, these men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I've given you a second chance, but from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship it, you will be pitched into the roaring furnace, no questions asked. <laughs> Whoa, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, your threats mean nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if you doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. So this is, the, this is a true point. I mean, like, okay, this is how it's going to be. You're going to bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. Period. That's what the king lays out. And they say, that's fine. I believe in my God. He can save us. But the key to this whole thing is, even if he doesn't, I'm good with that. Because I'm following his story. I'm not following my story. So you just, I mean, think about all the events that have happened recently in our, in our I don't know, 20, 30 years, whatever. But, you know, you've got people who have been questioned all right, do you believe in Christ? And they say yes, and they're shocked. So why weren't they saved? We don't know. But it's for us to, to witness. Why, are, why were the disciples, some beheaded, some crucified upside down, some you know, sent off to islands and then come back later after they've written the revelation and they're killed during that process? 
I mean, all of those questions have to, can only be answered by one thing, and that's faith that God's story is the right story. And so we, we admire martyrs. We admire people who are strong enough to say, yes, I believe in Christ, and I will do whatever it takes to, to keep my faith. You know, I, I was sitting there talking about the story, and I said, you know, I always pray that if I ever get put in a position where I have to decide, am I going to denounce God so that I don't have to see the furnace, that I would have the ability to say, stoke the fire. You know? But then somebody challenged me, and they said, what if it's your son? What if they say, you denounce God or you were throwing your son in the fire? What do you do? What do you do? I remember my dad when he was pastor and he preached one time on Abraham with Isaac being laid on the altar. My dad said, I was sitting in the congregation, and he said, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could lay my son right here and pull the knife and do what God asked me to do. And because Abraham had the uh, desire to be in complete unison with God's plan for his life, he was willing to do it, and God came through. So we have to realize God's story is going to have some strife in it. I mean, how many times did, you know, let's see, Joseph had to go to prison. These guys had to go to training. Probably was likely kind of a prison, probably for three years. But there's many times where a negative thing that we would see in our own stories works out for good in the end. And I don't mean to be a downer, but those are some of the things you have to question. How strong do I believe in God's story for my life? Do I, am I okay with whatever happens? You know, I know that my wife and I have had conversations about that. If, if all of a sudden one of us, for some reason, God decided to take us home, we'd question it, but we'd have to be good with it because it's God's story. My son and I had that conversation this week. We talked. And we both said, never turn back on God, no matter what it means. And I would miss my son more than anything. And I just pray that I'd never be put in that situation. I pray none of you would ever be put in that situation. But we don't know. We don't know what God's story has for us. But we have to, we have to really search our souls and see if we are willing to stand there no matter what, and say God is our king. That's what this whole story is about in Daniel. Every single one of those stories, they said God knows best. And they did it. You know, and the, and the chapter ends with Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Some of you probably can quote it right out of your head. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So seeking, somebody with all, seeking God with all of your heart says, I'm okay with whatever you decide, whatever happens. And that's hard. It's not fun. I, you know, I wonder that all the time. 
You know, and then Romans 8, everybody talks about, I do all things for good. Well, we have to remember it's for God's good, not for our good. So if it takes us going to prison, having a financial hardship, whatever it is, whatever struggles we go through, it's for his good. There's going to be a lesson in it. And we have to remember that. It's for, for his good. And so I'm hoping that while we're going through the story and we're reading the Bible, we're seeing that underlying message that it's about God's story and not us. That we, we recognize that. And in three, well, yeah, in three weeks, we start the New Testament. The New Covenant starts. And then we, so watch for it. Look for it. Make sure you know it. That's, what we, that's why we're here. We're Christians. We, we live under the New Covenant. We know that Christ is our Savior. So that's, that's what we, so really dive into the, to the last part. And if, you've, and if you haven't been staying with it, that's fine. I just, just skip to where we are. Just skip up there. I know it was hard over Christmas. We took five weeks off. You lose track. You lose momentum. It's about two pages a day is all you have to read to keep up. We have more books in the back. Um, if we run out, we'll buy more. I mean, we've given away almost 500 books so far. 500 Bibles for this church. That's pretty amazing. And the board says, buy more. Just buy more. We're sending out the Bible. I mean, why not? So let's just keep doing it. And so we always have to just think about it. What is, what, think about where you're at. Are you God's story? I mean, there's, there's a, all the way over here is God's story. All the way over here is your story. I don't get all the way over here. I try to, but I, I don't know. And like I said, I don't know in true fashion what would happen. I, I know what I'd say right now, but when you know, it all comes to shove, I don't know. I, I pray that I would have the ability. But think about where you're on that continuum. Are there certain things that you put in a box that you don't let God know about? Well, let me know. I'll tell you, he knows about them. And he won't forgive you till you open up the box and talk about it with him. So just do it. There might be some brokenness. There might be some pain. It's hard to, go, to let go and not think you're in control. I've done a lot of soul searching over the last few years, and it's wonderful when you get to the other side, when you don't have to feel like it's all you and it's, everything's on your back and you have to prove yourself to everybody. It's wonderful. You know, and, and we have to think about our whole heart. So think about your relationship this week. That's the, that's the whole nugget of this whole thing, is just to think about your relationship and what you need to do to get that um, where you're relying on God's story. I'm going to end with a quote that came out of um, God's at War. I know some of the men's group here is doing the book, and I'm eager to get reading on it um, uh, myself. But the quote talks, or the book talks about what are idols. And that big, huge statue was an idol. It talks about our idols. In fact, I got called out by my friends the other day. I was out snowshoeing. And uh, I felt like I should just drop to my knees and pray. And Cody's smiling at me because he knows this story. But I felt like I should drop to my knees and pray right there because I was standing there looking at trees covered in snow, mountains, just the majesty of it all. And then I looked at my watch and went, oh, i got to beat that time. And I kept snowshoeing. 
That's an idol. My watch was my idol at that moment. I didn't do what my heart told me to do. I wanted to follow my watch. I had to beat that time. So I was called out. We have little, little things that take us away because we can't read two pages a day in our Bible. So here's the quote. What you are searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. I'll say it again. What you are searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. So think about what those could possibly be too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, I thank you for today. And Lord, I just ask that you would change our hearts, that we would know that everything is yours. You are our creator. You made us. We are perfect in your eyes when we receive your son as our savior. Lord, I just ask that we would have confidence to be able to step out and rely solely on you, knowing that you are the provider, you are the caregiver, and you will take care of our needs, no matter what that looks like. Please give us the ability to understand that you are who you say you are, that you will take care of us, give us comfort to rest in that, and to know that you are our King and our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. And I think we have a hymn, correct? I don't know where the schedule went. All right. The words will be on the screen. If you'll please uh, stand up and join us in our closing hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Kind of works.
go ahead and make our circle this morning. Whew, we even got out a little early. Gives you more time to think about it. go this way. We're going to go. We're going to go to our left a little. Make that gap over there a little tighter. Okay. That way we don't have an overlap over there. I mean, okay. I'm probably messing with Jason's camera. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have any joys and concerns? And I know my wife hasn't announced, but let's do joys and concerns first, if there are any. Yes, Judy. So we got to make it, a, what, another five days? Okay. All right. That's your youngest daughter? Sister's youngest daughter, okay. Twins. Great. That's awesome. Yes, Barry. That includes Steve. He's coming back. He was moving Josh and Julie to a new house. They went from a two-bedroom little apartment to an actual house, and I didn't realize that Julie's mom was also living with them. So they had Julie, Josh, their, her mom, and two kids in a two-bedroom apartment. So they're, they don't know what to do with all the space. I'm probably sure of it. So, But yes, Edith. And that was your sister? Former sister-in-law. I am not doing well with remembering what I said. But uh, cancer and survive. Yeah. Go ahead, Nancy. Thank you for your prayers. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm blessed that my sister, brother-in-law, and my, two, or my nephew and niece are here. They're down in the nursery. They made it through the whole entire service without uh, having to run out of here. So that was good. So I was pretty... Yeah, they made it over last night, and hope, again, traveling mercies tomorrow when they go back. Um, any other things? Otherwise, we'll let my wife. Okay, Lori. Sure.
Okay, Lori, that's a fundraiser for the DR. Are you going to wear tutus again this year? Okay. Count me in. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Kelly. Six forty five, yep. Yeah, and there's and it is a community wide prayer breakfast, so other churches are gobbling up the tickets too. So if you want them, get them as soon as you can. Um, that'd be great. Also on March twelfth, I believe it's the twelfth, it's there's a sign up sheet on the cart when you came in. We're looking for host families to host some college students. Um, we're going to uh, have a concert here. Um, it's about a 100-person choir um, that's coming from Illinois um, that will be performing here on the 12th um, that evening. And um, we need hosts for two nights because they also will be performing at the college. Um, so um, it, there is sign-up sheets out on the, in the narthex or the entryway um, on the cart. So just seek that out, and there's more information out there. All right. Oh, you have an announcement. Tonight, RMC and Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries is having a worship night. Coffee is at 6.30 and worship's at 7. It is a phenomenal time and it's once a month. And we'll be going to high school and college. So if you guys want to ride or anything, give us a call. Okay. And then you said Rocky Mountain? Rocky Mountain. Yep, just on the north side of town there. So, All right. help shoveling. I'm sure I can